Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and delighted to share a milestone episode with you today. It's number 200 on our journey together discussing all things nonprofit leadership. I'd like to offer a special thanks to every guest who has helped us get this far and shared their wisdom with me and with you, the listener. And of course, a special shout out to Lauren McDowell, who has engineered every one of these episodes since we kicked it off on National Philanthropy Day back in November of 2019. Well, as you would imagine, a special episode warrants a special guest. And in fact, I've got two. Becky Endicott and John McCoy are the wonderfully talented duo that lead an organization called We Are For Good. And as they describe it, it's a digital kindness and social impact community. Among the many things they do to support the sector and leaders like you is they produce a fantastic podcast, also called We Are For Good. And they were gracious enough to join me for this special episode. And I think you're in for a treat. Uh, Becky and John have contemplated for the last several years some of the key issues and topics facing nonprofit leaders. And that's exactly what we discuss as we dive right into some of the headlines from their 2023 list. And it won't surprise you to learn that I have found kindred spirits in John and Becky as supporting nonprofit leaders is definitely a passion we all share many reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 200. Just go to the new podcast page at patentmcdowell.com and you'll find all of the resources we discussed as well as more information on John and Becky and the wonderful work they are doing through We Are For Good. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Becky Endicott and John McCoy. Becky and John, thank you for joining me on the path. Hey, oh Pat. So glad so to be here. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, the feeling is mutual. Uh, you all were wonderful hosts as I joined you on a recent episode of your We Are For Good podcast. And I'm delighted that you're joining me and bringing your voices to a special episode for your path to nonprofit leadership. In fact, this is number 200. And Woo-hoo! I cannot think of a better duo. <laughs> to join me because you, uh, uh, in all honesty, are are wrestling with some of the same issues in our sector that many of the listeners listening to this episode right now are dealing with. There are challenges, opportunities as well. And of course, you've done some wonderful programming recently, and we'll touch on that. But let's dive right in. We're going to talk about a number of issues, but I want to give Becky you the first chance. What is a key issue you think that is facing the nonprofit sector, nonprofit leaders in particular? I think the biggest one that I'm seeing from our vantage point in our community is that nonprofit leaders are really struggling with recruiting and retaining really incredible talent right now. And the reality is, is a lot of the nonprofit sector is just flat out burnt out. It's going through a lot of compassion fatigue. We're seeing early signs of mental health um, fatigue that's coming into our organizations. And we're finding that people um, really want to change in the way that they work and the way that they are reimagining how they walk through their career. And rest just remains this really extreme countercultural act for the nonprofit sector. And, and I 
think we just have to get serious about it. We have to build um, spaces of psychological safety where our staff can come in and tell us really hard things and know that it's going to be okay, that their jobs are going to be safe, that their time off is going to be honored. So I think really getting real about Gen Z really specifically and really millennials and what their expectations are in in the nonprofit sector, how they want to pour into work that really motivates them is going to be the biggest challenge that we're seeing right now. Fantastic. And I bet we'll get back into that in our conversation as it continues. But you're right. The the impact of mental health and burnout is affecting some of those tactical things like talent acquisition and retention, right? And it's affecting the hiring practices and all that. So Hold that thought as I'm sure we may come (laughs) back to it, but I think it's absolutely a trend. Uh, John, same question. Is there a trend or issue that you think is one that we ought to start with? Yeah, I mean, this one is really close to our our heart, but it comes up in our community all the time that it's just such a moment in time that we have to pour into ourselves because the world looks fundamentally so different than it did just a few years ago, even when we started We Are For Good as a podcast. And the evolution, learning to lean into the evolution and accepting, embracing and growing through it is like where so much opportunity lies. And I think I'm seeing this, you know, the evolved leader that's making the investment, that's creating the psychological safe place to not know the answer, but to show up in humility, to figure things out together. Those are the ones that are moving so much faster. They're not seeing the walls that have really held our sector back And that they're going to be here to be the next generation that's really going to usher in massive change. And so this idea of growth and learning, which means investing budget, investing time and leading from that place as leaders, being the modeling of that kind of, you know, environment for, for your team to live in, I think is a huge opportunity and something we feel really passionate about. Really the reason we jump to even do what we do. Um, well, that's going to be a perfect that. segue because I'm going to ask you about that. But <laughs> thanks for the encouragement, frankly, to sure. the sector. <laughs> um, giving myself a softball. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, that's okay. Yeah, we can play the host game throughout this entire trio <laughs> here, right? Um, but seriously, the the encouragement I think for nonprofit leaders to consider that, as well as those aspiring to to move into leadership, which I'm sure we have some listening right now that are looking for ideas that can improve their leadership path. Um, Well, John, let me stay with you. Speaking of the We Are For Good podcast, that is within the origin story, I know, for the two of you. But for those that don't know, what is We Are For Good? Because I think it is indeed more than just a podcast. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. And I'll thread a little bit of our story into this, too, because for some context, you know, I was a graphic design major at Oklahoma State University about to leave with my degree. And I'm walking through the art building and I see this eight and a half by 11 flyer that says intern wanted at the OSU foundation. And I was like this, you know, heart wired kind of mission wired kind of kid. And I was like, man, to do design for a nonprofit, like this could be my dream job. And you got to talk walk- about how ugly it is though. Oh, yeah, it was really was so ugly. ugly. It, it wasn't impressive. <laughs> I, I Your heart was in it though. thinking <laughs> at a minimum, I will go make them a new flyer. Even if I don't get the job, it'll right, attract right. Maybe some different people. So I walk into that interview and there is sitting Becky Endicott. And I mean, Flash forward all these years later, not only did we become fast friends just because we believed in the power of philanthropy, it was just like a formative time of our life. I mean, we were both really young and really optimistic for what the world of philanthropy held. And in that time, OSU, you know, Becky hired me on, ultimately graduated and got full-time job on the team there as a designer, basically on team. Becky led marketing and we were given this massive budget to launch a, what would be a billion dollar fundraising campaign. And we are new grads, you know, 
Becky's in her second job, but just a few years past college. And here we are, it's just kind of starry-eyed dreamers thinking this is how philanthropy works, that you have these $100 million commitments and you've got these massive infrastructures happening. And it was a crazy place to grow up in philanthropy because we saw the power of what it could do, how it was transforming our campus and through scholarships and all these cool things that were happening. And then something happened. You know, we did that and it was a really, really fun few years, but we decided to move. We're independently, we're married to different people. Let's just be clear because it sounds like we're everybody kind of thinks doing this we're online. married. Oh, no, no, you're not. a couple, right? You're a work I'm giving, couple. I'm work giving couple. him a noogie on his head. Yes, yes. I'm his older sister. Mm-hmm. So we collectively decided, let's go chase this next thing because a friend was coming to Oklahoma City and was taking over this healthcare foundation. And it just seemed like a new challenge, you know, and we could come in as you know, to help build something. And what we didn't know is we walked into a place that was actively getting sued by Garth Brooks. Like this was getting drugged through the media, getting drug in the community. And there was no culture, what we call a culture of philanthropy happening. And so to right. have the polarity of these experiences in a short period of time, I mean, was shocking to say the least, but set us up to just come back to the core value of like, what makes philanthropy so unique and so different? And we're using our storytelling lens and our marketing and design and uh, narrative kind of lenses. And we started from within. And this is a huge part of our story. And I don't want to undersell this because we kind of grew in our belief in what philanthropy can do at a community level because we started from just a base of nothing there, you know? And I don't want to overpaint the picture, but it truly was hard to figure out where do you even go if you don't have supporters in the community. And we said, we need to start from within and really build believers at those closest to our mission. So we built this categorically different employee giving campaign around the tenets of everybody matters. Dollar doesn't matter. It's about participation. It's about finding your passion. It's about telling your story. It's about everybody has a part of the story. And what happened was just kind of this thing that happened in front of us was this movement. And it grew to, you know, not only just like the city's largest employee campaign, but later the states, later the regions. And it was raising nearly a million dollars from employees giving like $5 a paycheck because they believed in that what philanthropy was doing, you know? And that I would say was our next piece of our story that we're like, man, this is the sweet spot. You know, we've seen major philanthropy, but now we've experienced like grassroots philanthropy. And there is just values that we learned in that experience that have taught us and given us principles to that we wanted to share with the world. And we thought we were going to be campaign consultants, you know, with, with having a successful employee right. campaign, right. who likes employee campaigns, you know, that's a very geeky thing <laughs> to like, really like. Yeah, yeah. Just us. Right. Right. We're like, maybe we're the employee giving people. And we started to like put together this idea that we're going to be consultants. And Becky and I were having lunch one day, we were landing clients about to like jump to go be consultants. And we're like, okay, we both have young kids. Why are we signing up to like leave them to go consult? And Get it just on the road is not fun, yeah. right? It didn't make sense. And so I'll say this is where, you know, the growth mindset really comes in that we knew the passion we had, we knew the values we stood for, but we went back to the drawing board of how we were going to deliver it. And this idea of we are for good came about that it's like, you know, the way people are learning is rapidly changing. And the way that I was learning as an entrepreneur was through podcasts and through reading and through connecting and following people on social media. And we're like, there's a space for this, a nonprofit that we could move so much faster if we didn't have to go to a hotel conference room to learn the best practices. But what if we could just do that while we're washing the dishes or do it, you know, on our own time walking around the neighborhood. And this idea of creating this podcast just came into focus, but we didn't want to do it alone. We wanted it to be surrounded in community and all the principles we learned kind of through our journey. 
It's fantastic. And the core values still shine through as evidenced by the wonderful content you all producing, not just in audio form, but in other formats through your community. So uh, Becky, similar question. What, uh, John articulated beautifully how this partnership came together, but did you have experiences prior to this too that have kind of influenced the way you approach your leadership now? I mean, let's be honest, John had to cultivate me for three years to even get me to agree to do this podcast because I think, you know, scarcity mindset is something inadvertently that we have in nonprofit. We're used to working on the margins. We're used to work doing more with less. We're used to not having anything extra, you know, on our budgets. And so I didn't, I didn't really see myself as being somebody who had all of this knowledge or influence. And really when John was like, let's just share what we know and let's gather as many friends as we possibly can. And so our business plan for the first year was literally um, make as much free content as possible and make as many friends as we can <laughs> and ask for nothing. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and so I think just coming into it with an abundance mindset like that has changed and it reshaped me a little bit as a leader because it's really about stepping into your own power. And I didn't know that I had a voice to speak into these things. I just knew that I'd had 20 years of experience um, working in the field and looking at John at least 200 times and going, why are we doing it this way? Like, this makes no sense. And could we do it a different way? And could we bring a lot of people in with us? I'm glad you brought core values in because that was literally where we started with our company with the first core value of everyone matters is our first core value. And our last one is community is everything. And so everything that falls in between there from playing the long game or building believers rather than donors, because we think believers are much more powerful and strong than simply a donor that has really formed we are for good. And it's become this movement um, where it's taken off on, on a life of its own. I think John and I are shocked every dang day <laughs> that it's still here. <laughs> And it's just, it's a, it's a movement in humility and it's a movement in joy and it's a rejection of the cynicism of the world and of this small thinking. And it's really about taking that idealistic, we call ourselves ridiculous idealists, taking that idealistic perspective that we all had when we were kids or when we came into this journey of nonprofit saying, I am going to change the world and figuring out how to freaking change the world together because we're in lockstep with each other and because we're all checking our ego at the door and because we're failing forward, you know, rather than failing. Yes. And so we're trusting in each other to try things that are innovative and different. And guess what? We're loving and encouraging each other along the way because this work is hard and it feels a lot better to be in community with it. Love that. All three of us spent time in higher ed. I yes. noticed speaking of of some similarities and, and Becky, I, you had a good experience there, would you say? But I did. And your community now, though, is much more than higher ed. It, it does it literally transcend all nonprofit sectors? It transcends all communities. I mean, I think we were thinking so small when we were thinking about launching We Are For Good. We were thinking about nonprofit and now we've cascaded into social impact, into social entrepreneurship, into B Corps, into you know, the, the stay at home mom who's at home with her baby, who really believes in 
helping women get educated around the world or, you know, the little league dad who's going to work, but he's volunteering for his United Way and he wants to do something good in his local community. And I think we can all gravitate toward the fact that we just want to do something good. And we're going to try to make good as accessible. We're going to make it as equalizing and democratic as possible. And you can show up as you are and you're going to get a lot of learning and teaching here. And we're probably going to laugh and like tell really embarrassing stories about each other but, or about uh, ourselves. That'll yeah, make it more that's, interesting that's for human. sure. Yes, yeah. indeed. All right. Well, John, set the table for us. You all have been doing some fantastic programming of late around nine nonprofit trends that matter in 2023. Talk about the origin of that kind of series, if you would, and then maybe we'll dive into several of those trends themselves. Thank you. I mean, so just to give context, if you've not listened to our podcast, we come at you three days a week. So the amount of conversations that we've had since we launched in summer of 2020 has truly just, you know, snowballed really quickly. And the gift and curse of that is that we're always, Becky and I are always just kind of amassing all these kind of like ideas. And we see commonalities when we talk to people, sometimes across the big pond, sometimes in the same community as us, and sometimes definitely from like big metropolitan areas too. And we always, we call it almost like an eyebrow quirk moment when it's like these people that don't know each other, that aren't following necessarily some playbook, but in practice, they are doing things that are the same and they're disruptive and they're meeting the moment. And those are the things that we literally just start an old Google doc. So if you don't have a running Google doc, <laughs> I would encourage you this. I have one from my favorite Best quote. tool for one. everything, right? There you go. But just when you see those things, we started to write them down. And this is now the second year that we've released a list around this. But to us, it's almost like this gift back to say, hey, we have this really unique perch. A lot of it's hard to keep up with the amount of content we share, right. but we want to really lift like what are these things that we think could be really momentum shifting if an organization centers this in their work. And we've got case studies to talk about it. We've got people that you can go follow and find on LinkedIn and chat with them probably because the community that surrounds this work is so open and so encouraging and so kind that it's real people that are implementing this. So we try to connect people with the tools and the tips and we've landed on nine. Becky and I absolutely have to arm wrestle because I would say this list was about 15 this year. Maybe. I was going to ask you how that uh, emerged or yeah, evolved. Yeah, there was. There was definitely several Zooms where, you know, I'm going to go ahead and get off. Let's talk about this later after we can <laughs> settle a little bit. <laughs> hey, well, well, how many trends were there in 2022? Um, eight. Nine? Okay, eight, eight. last eight. year. So we're slowly getting more and more. I didn't think <laughs> about that. <laughs> but we, So we could link up in the show notes maybe both lists. Is that uh, possible? Absolutely. Because I think that would be something that we'll, our listeners will certainly find of interest. Uh, but yeah, Becky, anything else that went into your mindset as to these trends or things that generally how you put it together? I mean, I think it was exactly what John said. How can we give back these insights that we keep seeing as low-hanging fruit for the sector? We see these things trending and those that are seizing it are having such incredible success and they are winning in this post-COVID world. And it's like, how do we curate it? How do we get the framework? How do we get the toolbox and the case study? And how do we gift that to everyone? So I think we're going to unpack some. If, you, if you'll let me, I'm going to go into the first one. And I, if I can I'm... say one more caveat, because oh. this, I don't try to bring out cynical John at all, right? In this, <laughs> but I do think at the beginning of the year, I think it's really fascinating that you always see a lot of companies start to drop their list of these are the things that are important. Right. 
when right. eight of them point to like things that they sell, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, maybe it's don't not trust that self-serving is it for yeah, you guys? It's it's... Like independent of like, this is what we really think matters. Like there's not a sales pitch or funnel behind this there. This is like actual real life applied. So there's some more tone setting. Sorry. But well, that's perfect. And Becky, indeed, the first one, I think you and I have on our list, prioritizing self-growth. Uh, you know, I'm going to love that concept, but tell us, what do you mean by that? And how is it? And why is it a trend? I, we had purposefully put this one as number one, yep. because we believe that self-growth is an ongoing process. It is a roadmap for how you invest into yourself. And we think it's antithetical to nonprofit. I mean, how many of us have looked longingly at a class, at a training, at a certification, and knowing that it's probably going to get value engineered right out of our budget when it comes time for really making heavy cuts. And we're First saying- thing to go. Right. Really? And we're saying, okay, rather than professional development be the first thing to go, what if it was the first thing put in? What if we actually put some intentional training around how we're going to grow as an individual and as a team this year? And we just really think that if you can start with creating space of intention for yourself, it's going to align your habits and your actions around what you want to accomplish professionally and honestly, personally for yourself. And so it's also about advocating for yourself. And if let's say we have a lot of people within our and, and small nonprofits in our community, and they're saying, look, we just don't have the funding for me to go this year. And we said, okay, what about this? What about if you went to your boss and said, I'm really interested in getting X amount of training for this very specific thing that I would like uh, for us to implement in the organization this year. And if they don't have any budget, guess what? You come with a plan and you say, this one's free. Here's a, here's a list of podcasts I'm going to dive into here. Here's some books I'm going to check out. Here are thought leaders that I'm following on LinkedIn. If I come back and make a case to you about how I can learn this for free, can I get some more investment in the next year if I can get this program up and going? And I have been shocked at the way our community has responded to this one with saying things like, I didn't know I was worthy of a professional development plan in this business. And every single person needs to have a plan for your own self-growth. And that may be growing as an individual within your job. It may be resting. It may be learning a new skill. I mean, we saw a lot of this in COVID with people like bringing skills back, bring in stuff that makes you consume joy. Because if you consume more joy, then you're going to be able to pour into your job, into your people, into your community so much more easily. Love that. And we have to be proactive, right? I often say Indeed. to folks I'm working with, it, you can't wait for your organization necessarily to do it. And as you said earlier, Becky, sadly, some of our bosses out there listening aren't putting professional development and career development up front. And for whatever reason, maybe the budget's the excuse. Um, but I'm glad you're encouraging folks to take charge of their Absolutely. own plans and their self-growth. All right, follow-up question to both of you. It, give me an example of something you're doing, because I, I, I know you practice what you preach. What are you two working on to get better in your profession or your work? Okay, this is a really super dorky example, Patton, but I bought this copywriting course because for a long time, you know, a lot of our work and not just how we show up online, but just how we talk about value and things comes down to the words that we are putting on a screen 
And this is one of those things. I don't think chat GTP is going to just disrupt everything because how do you thread what you're saying with empathy and creativity and the things that a bot can't produce? And so I invested in the copy care. It's a really expensive copywriting course. Wow. I just saw the value in it. And it's like, it's helping me reshape how we show up online. And so that's the same thing as like, I would have never said I'm a writer. We didn't go into my full like story, but I always was wired with, I'm a designer. What's my contribution here? And I'm realizing, no, that's your secret sauce. Like figure out what is your unique angle, but then you can start to add in these things, you know, as you figure out where you're at, like I'm at a place now that I want to be a really great writer. So I'm investing in that in this year. So that's one example. Love I'm it. So proud of you. Uh, me too. Oh, Becky, <laughs> what are you working on? I'll give you an affiliate link. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't forget to add that in, slide that in, right? All right, Becky, uh, what are you what are you working on? Um, I'm going to therapy every week uh with my therapist. So I know some people may think that's a strange thing for self-growth, but it's honestly to have one hour a week. And you can ask John, like, I don't take any meetings, I don't take any calls, no one's allowed to book over that time but I'm a working mom and I need to get grounded and what I'm struggling with for the week, things I need to release. I need to do some self realization and actualization. I like to check in on myself as self-awareness. I had a mental breakdown in 2019. So part of my prioritizing my own self-growth is finding that rest and that calm and that peace within. And it's, it's my, honestly, my favorite week of, or hour of the entire week is my time with my therapist. Thanks for sharing, Becky. I think we all would agree that that mental health has hopefully gotten uh, more recognition uh, for the issues that it, it certainly creates. And so thank you for being an advocate of that kind of self-help for sure. Oh, my joy. Um, all right, John, let's go to another one. A, another of your nine trends uh, you yeah, described yeah. as community is core. Uh, what does okay. that mean and why is it a trend? Yeah, I mean, it's a trend because community is everything. That's that's a core value of We Are For Good. And you probably heard it threaded through our story. And I think that there's multiple lenses with this. And what we're not talking about, although I think it's really important, is centering community in our work. Obviously, you know, making sure that the impact that we're creating is in touch with the community you're actually serving, finding solutions, talking to the very people on the front lines. But we're actually talking about this from a different lens for the purposes of this trend. And that's about this idea of creating belonging around value-aligned people that surround your work and mission. And so we just launched a podcast episode about this with Floyd Jones. So if you don't follow him, he is like community embodied and we love oh him. My He's gosh. the partnerships director over at Give Butter. He um, brought you know this really impactful thing to us when he said, we're living in such a dichotomy that you know we're the most connected time in history, but we're also the most isolated time in history in so many ways. And what we're finding is that organizations that are centering community is part of their strategy of just how they engage people and how they create places for people to find like-minded people, they're moving really fast. And an example of this would be the FarmLink project. It's just one of many, but they're a Gen Z startup nonprofit that are already outraising many of our organizations that have been around for decades because they don't see the walls. They find people that are like-minded and plug them into jobs that can help you know, advance their network, which is just trying to get food from waste to actually like food banks. And they've figured out kind of the mission delivery of that piece. But everything that they do is through this lens of like engaging people and surrounding people in their work. And by doing that, it's allowing them to move faster. And so sometimes this could be like a dedicated community. Maybe it's a monthly giving program that has a community. We we love following Charity Water. I mean, obviously they're always lauded as a lot of examples, but I think if you 
really break down what's below the surface of their monthly giving program that brings what, Becky, like 60 million a year in $30 a month gifts. The below the surface of that is it's baked in community. This is called the spring and the members know that they're part of the spring and they know other spring members and they meet up and they see each other on Zoom and it's like, there's a community component and that also locks people in tighter to the mission. As people find connection, they see it as part of their identity and it just adds more fuel to the fire because we talked about that we don't want to build um, donors. We want to build believers. And so part of that is equipping people to know how to talk about you and how to bring it up. And whenever people identify with a community, that puts that into a very organic part of your DNA and how you show up. And so community is core. And we even see business, the business world doing this and how they're crowdsourcing ideas before they go to, to market with it because they want to make sure it's in touch with the actual buyer. So community as core is something that we can look at a lens and no matter what aspect that we're doing, whether it's in-person community or whether it could be digital is absolutely something that every organization could link into. So I guess the dark side of that, though, is there are a lot of nonprofit organizations that aren't creating that community is, is in other words, this trend is also in response to some of the things you're not seeing. Is that fair? Yeah, I'll, I'll even give an example to that. When we were at our healthcare organization, I remember they were trying to get a blog up um, for the community. And I remember we were sitting in a meeting and uh, the VP of that group was saying, oh, but you know, we'd have to see what they were posting first and then we'd have to edit it. And if there's any negative comments, we have to get rid of those. And I mean, saying all the things that are very antithetical to community. And it's really about just getting nonprofit to let go of that control a little bit. And the beauty of what happens when you let go is that this other narrative comes into play. Somebody tells you how your mission has affected them in their life, why they're so passionate about it. And we want that. We want their unique voice. We want that unique network. We want that unique story and lived experience because it adds color and it gives credence in an area where we can't get into that network, but that person has that experience. And so it's really about, if you believe in community, it's about, can you let that go a little bit and let in interpretation come in and let people tell you why they find you and your mission so important and so special. And P.S., as your resident marketers, you will have content for days that you won't even have to <laughs> Best write. Best kind of content. All yes, right, it. Content, but, yeah. But, but we have to release our insecurities, don't we, of control. And yeah, I would say a lot <laughs> of the historic leadership trends are, yeah, that Becky, that scares me if I'm going to yes. open up to the community. But you would suggest it's the way to go. We're going to say it either way. So, yeah. you know, it's going to add to your ability to actually know that and be able to respond or to allow it, you know, the air to breathe. But I mean, that is of the moment. You look at like Google ratings, you look at Reddit, you look at all these platforms where it's not going to stop people from talking if you don't create the space. But if you open it up, I mean, how much more of an inclusive place and gives you lens to what people are really thinking and talking about. So it's a tough one, but it's also like kind of everything, especially as we're like moving into this new era that we've been moving into for a while. But by by staying in front of it like that or, or opening ourselves to that dialogue, we can likely stay in front of it. As you said, John, if we try to ignore it, it's going to happen somewhere else, right? The, the conversation or the, the community is going to exist probably in a more negative fashion. Yeah. Indeed. And I really think like this idea of like innovation, Gabe Cooper wrote about it in his book about responsive fundraising, but I just love that there's this idea of you can actually eliminate risk the more that you're like listening and learning 
from the community around your work, because you're going to have a better sense of like, what's that case for support that's really going to land? What's that project that people actually want to see or where do you show up? And so for the risk averse, you have to understand that this is actually helping you mitigate some of that by just having a better pulse of what people are thinking um, through. And so it's well, something well, we feel really passionate about, but it is scary, you know, especially we live in the public eye at every moment. And so your Enneagram nine peacemaker gets very stressed about that too. So yeah, you know, it's hard to take criticism because you're right. If you open up to the community, you may not hear all uh, compliments, um, but ultimately it is the way to go. And I'm glad you're lifting that up and certainly encouraging our listeners to consider that. Um, Becky, I'm going to come back to you because you have become our self-help guru of this episode already. (laughs) Uh, Another trend that I know you can speak to, and John as well, but normalizing rest. Um, Why did you come to that conclusion as a key trend to talk about? Well, we came to it because I was the poster child for doing it wrong, I would think, in nonprofits. So for anybody out there, if this sounds familiar to you, you know, you're working eight to nine hours a day, you're coming home, you're taking care of kids, you're taking care of the house, you're taking care of all your relationships, but are you also checking your email in between cooking dinner and trying to pack lunches? And oh, even though I'm home, I'm going to grab that call. I'm going to get on that call, even though I was supposed to, oh, that proposal is going to be due this week. I'm I'm not going to sleep well if I don't look at it tonight. And you can just see how these things sort of cascade over. And we realized that rest is self-care and it's a human right. And you don't owe anyone an explanation about needing rest. And so we really wanted to pour into this concept of we have got to be leading the conversation around well-being, mental health, and self-care within our organization. And if you're a nonprofit leader, I'm specifically speaking to you because this is not only holding our sector back, it's burning our people out. And you simply cannot pour from an empty cup. And even worse, I think leaders are modeling some of the behaviors um, that organizations are trying to eradicate right now, you know, in terms of burnout, in terms of compassion fatigue. So it's really about, we wanted to create some framework and some conversation around knowing your limits, Um, recognizing rest and impact are not opposites. They're interdependent. We have to rest to be able to chase that impact and vice versa. You know, we need to make it equitable. I talked about consuming what brings you joy and focus on consuming content that makes you feel good, that makes you want to get out and go do something good in this lifetime or for yourself. It's about saying no and setting boundaries and saying no is just one of these underrated forms of self-care. And just by saying no doesn't mean you're never going to do it. It just means sometimes that you're not doing it right now. So if somebody's looking for a really interesting case study, um, there's an incredible organization called New Profit, and they're led by an amazing leader, a woman named Tulane Montgomery. And they actually did um, last fall during a very busy programming and fundraising season, they cleared their calendars, they switched all of their out of office responders, and they took the entire week off gave everybody a company-wide break. And I'm happy to share the link with you, but they documented how they all built that together. They built it from the lowest level employee all the way to the highest level employee. So there wasn't this undue burden of somebody actually having to take calls. 
And what it did to their organization to reset is really a testament to what rest can do. So, and we've curated playlists around this. We're going to have a big uh, Friday episode coming in March that we'd love your listeners to listen to, but it's mostly taking back that control that you have the ability to be still. You have the ability to rest your body, your mind, and your soul, and we need you to because this work is hard and nonprofit and this work on the front lines. So take care of yourself so you can take care of that mission. Love that. And I want I want to underline what you said. The leaders listening, they have to model that, right? And because I think they sometimes pay lip service to it, but then you email your whole team at midnight. What kind of modeling is that? Or what kind right. of example do you set? And I'm guessing that's the kind of thing you experienced and or saw, and thus we need to normalize it to, hey, you can shut it down at the end of the day and spend time with your family. Yes. I mean, I worked at a healthcare organization and I would get text, you know, up until one in the morning of my grandfather's in the ER. Can you help get me through? And you just have to create some of these boundaries around rest. Otherwise, it's just going to creep right in. Excellent. Uh, not surprised. Each of these issues are thought provoking, and I'm delighted that our listeners are going to ponder not just what they mean from the way you've contextualized them, but what they can do about it. And so that's, I appreciate the advice. And John, I guess we'll wrap up some of these key trends. We're going to tease all nine of them. We may not get to all nine, but another one that I was fascinated by was one you all described as lock arms for impact. What does yeah. that mean? And tell us how it might apply to a nonprofit leader listening right now. Love to. So this, let me just kind of put some context before we jump into this is that, you know, it's really important that we dial in what specific impact is your mission creating. And this is where the data matters. The actual metrics matter because you want to be absolutely accountable to say, this is what we're really good at. We're actually shifting this thing. And we can be able to say that because once you know your niche and you know the impact that you're making, it's setting you up to be able to have the next level of conversations because no organization is set up to do everything well, but we are set up to know what we can be uniquely good at and then own that, you know, for your community, absolutely. Or maybe it's on a national or worldwide level, know what that is. So once you're armed with that, you're armed with the data, you're armed with the impact, you can now go and find partners that we say lock arm for impact. And, you know, I will say I have grown so much in my mindsets around partnerships since we launched We Are For Good, because part of my responsibility for 10 years in healthcare was overseeing the galas. I mean, the team, my annual giving team was responsible for all the events and the golf tournaments and the galas and the oh, mailers yeah. and all this stuff, you know? So I was very much in the work and very often we would default to the partnership look like sliding across a packet of pick your table size, you know, so we can partner <laughs> with your organization. And th that's not all bad. Like, you know, there's probably opportunities for, you know, meeting people that way and getting in the door. But what we're seeing this lock arms for impact where it changes the game is when you realize that these are not one dimensional partnerships. This is not just a cash transaction changing hands. This is what is opportunity is available. If you know your impact and you're walking into a corporation they don't, they don't just have money. They may have money. They probably have tech that they could help you with. They have people that could be unleashed around your mission. They have influence in the community and you have a lot of assets that they could, you know, garner from as well. And so what we're seeing, and I'm going to lift the Bob Woodruff foundation. They came on the podcast and Marie Doherty came in 
and she schooled us in the best ways about partnerships because you know this is a veterans focused organization that is all about partnerships you know they have their own funds but they are so generous in the way that they form partnerships and she was walking us through i was like emory how did y'all partner with the nfl and she's like you know, it's really just as simple as just a Venn diagram. It's like, we looked at the places that we serve and we overlaid that with the places where the stadiums are and where the games are going to be. And we talked about this huge footprint of veterans that love football. And we go into this conversation of like, look at what we're doing. Look at how this overlays with your business objectives and your goals. And they walk out with this like massive partnership. And I just think if we thought about things like that, that's so much more valuable than the NFL buying a $5,000 table and sitting in our gala, you know, but it's really playing to the strengths, knowing your impact, being confident and walking into the room with that. And what's cool is that Emory shared that story. And then our community that surrounds our work inspires us daily. And we got to give a shout out to Adam Miller because he is in our community. He started his nonprofit since we started, we are for good. And so he has been part of our pro community. He's leaning in, he's growth mindset. He's everything we describe. He set up a meeting after listening to that episode with Anne-Marie, learned from her one-on-one and now is actively like landed a deal with the NBA in a similar fashion for his nonprofit. And I hope I'm not spoiling anything, Adam, but I mean, (laughs) this is the kind, this is the kind of new thinking that a new nonprofit could really walk in with that. Well, if they understand what the value is and they understand how to have these conversations, anything is possible. And that's what gets us so excited about the linking arms that could happen and why we want to show up generously and just open-handed for how our mission is going to take place. We know our visions, the impact uprising, but we don't know exactly what that means and how it's going to play out because we're going to lock arms with people along the way. It's going to get so much better and more beautiful um, at every step. Love it. Uh, as you have done uh, throughout this conversation, I'm grateful you opened with compelling headlines. You've helped unpack some of these nine trends. Again, our listeners need to check out all nine. They only got a taste of maybe four of them. Uh, final question, if I could, before we talk about our favorite books, however. Um, Becky, let me start with you. I mean, someone thinking about getting into nonprofit leadership right now, any, any final advice uh, amidst everything else that you've already shared? You probably run into people that come to you and say, hey, I'm thinking about starting a nonprofit or getting into nonprofit. I'm sick of my work at the bank or sorry, all the bankers listening right now. But yeah, (laughs) in your community, I'm sure. Yeah. What what would you say to somebody thinking about nonprofit leadership? Here's what I would say. It is the most rewarding journey of your entire life. And so I would say if you can align these five things, you are going to find an incredible nonprofit job. One, if you can find what is the cause you're most passionate about? Two, what is the opportunity you're most excited about? Three, what is your compensation that you need to have? Four, where is your location? need to be. And maybe it's virtual. And five, what is the type of culture that you're looking for? If you can answer those five things and create a dream list for yourself, I can assure you there is some mission out there in the world right now who is waiting for your gifts, talents, and abilities to niche into. And I will say we are waiting for you in nonprofit. We, If you're an innovator, we need you. If you're someone that moves quickly, we need you. If you are somebody who um, is a risk taker and is ready to try something new, we need you. Come on over. It will fill not only your professional cup, but your personal cup as well. 
Beautiful. Gosh. What a wonderful invitation. I have to follow that. I know. Sorry, John. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a <laughs> shot at that. But oh, you're gonna yours is gonna be uh, great, John. Becky, yeah. Well, and Becky, just to, to lift that up, I love that because I think a lot of people struggle with the overwhelmingness of where am I going, you know, career wise. And you broke down. You know, I would say I call it a vision framework. You broke it down into, hey, here are the questions you can a- ask yourself and run with those answers. And indeed, we need you in the community. So. John, same question. You probably run into people a lot that are pondering either getting into the field or advancing in the field. Any final advice you might offer? I mean, my what feels overwhelming in my heart right now is like, please come. Like we yeah. need your creativity. We need your heart um, in this space. And I shared a little bit that as a designer, I think it took a while to find my footing because I never felt like a fundraiser, but then all of a sudden I'm leading a fundraising team. But so many of us have fallen into this work and that expression gets almost trite, but I think understand your superpowers because what I, my superpower of being a designer as a fundraiser did give me an edge. And each of us can have our own edge as we understand what is our unique gifting and talent, but I can wholeheartedly assure you that you are needed in the impact uprising. Like if you feel ever so slight of a a nudge, like this is an incredibly fulfilling place to pour your work and heart into, and you will get tenfold out of it, even if it's not in in monetary money, but I hope that helps too. (laughs) But I hope that grows too. We need to do better in the sector. Yeah, we need to do better there, don't we? Yeah, but it's just an incredible place. And so I just think no matter your background, no matter your talents, like you're, you are needed. So just like lean into that as your superpower. Thanks for the encouragement, John, as you and Becky have done wonderfully throughout this conversation, encouragement, takeaways, ideas, And that's exactly what I was hoping would be part of this conversation. If I can ask a parting gift of both of you, Becky, you first. As you know, I've asked every guest since the first of our 200 episodes. 200. uh, (laughs) Yeah, fired up about it. So, Becky, a a book that's been meaningful to you that you would share with our listeners? Uh, Well, I'm a big fan of fictional reading, but I'm actually going to share a nonfiction today. If you have not read The Generosity Crisis by Nathan Chappelle, Brian Crimmins, and Michael Ashley, go buy it immediately. Love it. Because I read this book and I realized that we are completely in a market that is rife for connection. And so nonprofits, if we're going to survive, let alone thrive, and a declining generosity market, we have to understand that we are in a battle for connection. And we have to establish radical connection with our constituents, our believers, our donors. And this book actually gave me a lot of hope about how to do that. And I think what we're seeing with John already illuminated with community is core. This is the way. This is the future. And I just thought this book was absolutely brilliant. So there you go. I gave Beautiful. a nonfiction. Are you shocked, John? I am shocked because I always go nonfiction and I'm getting <laughs> fiction today. Is that shocking? Hey, let's shake it up a little bit That's here. Okay. This episode. This is probably The Alchemist. I, I love mean, that book. This my, book. Lauren loves that. My daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. John, your kindred, kindred spirit spirits. Yep. Yeah. But I think if Why you was just it, find it, yourself yeah. just like wrestling through like, where is my purpose? Where do I want to go? I feel like this book is just such a balm to that and just like embracing the journey finding the unexpected places where meaning happens and it may lead you back to where you started or maybe not. But I just think that this, this book kind of just gave that breath of fresh air for me and gave me a lot of perspective and just, it's just a feel good read. So 
definitely add Love it to it. your list. Yeah. Excited to add it to a list that uh, I hope will encourage our listeners to read more. Speaking, Becky, if they would give themselves more time for themselves. It's a great way to relax. Exactly right. Yes. I'm I'm a big fan. Um, All right. Well, Becky, you first. Where can people find out more about you and the great work you two are doing? Well, you can come find me. I'm just an email away at Becky at weareforgood.com. Very active on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, sort of active on TikTok. I'm I'm 43, so I'm yeah. trying to understand TikTok. I missed that train. But, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> so yeah, come find me for sure. And also I would say come join our community. We have a free community. It's weareforgoodcommunity.com. And it's the place where you can share all those questions uh, that you were too afraid to ask in your uh, staff meeting or behind um, a chat forum paywall. We're, we're very kind and open and want to help you get unstuck. Yeah, indeed. I've seen evidence of that. And, and John, same question. And maybe John, an add on. Yeah. What's, what else is coming up on the horizon for We Are For Good? Thank you. I mean, yeah, definitely. I would love for anyone to reach out. We're just an email away. I'm J-O-N, John at weareforgood.com or find me on LinkedIn. Would love to connect and just keep chatting with you. Um, we have a lot of exciting things happening um, on We Are For Good. We're launching new podcasts this year that are going to serve kind of different spokes um, of the sector. So if you're looking for your people, you're looking for your community, like there's a lot of that happening. We just launched a job board. So jobs.weareforgood.com. We're just really intent about helping people get aligned this year. And that starts a lot of times with finding a vocation that you like come alive at. And so part of this impact uprising, we want to create a place that the jobs here, are, it's not just a typical job board, but it's it's been vetted that these places uplift DE&I practices, not only in how they hire, but how they show up in the world. They also pay living wages and they provide paid medical leave, um, which we think is just such an important topic that we all need to be fighting for. And so you can find that at jobs.weareforgood.com if you're looking. Um, it's a great place to start your search. John, Becky, you have delivered and then some. Oh, Thank you, you are so kind. So kind. Um, I can't believe we're 200. Thank you so much for that. That's such a fun milestone. Honored (laughs) to have you both. And thank you for continuing to do the great work you're doing in our sector. We need it. And I know our listeners are going to enjoy connecting with you if they haven't already. So thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you so much. Proud to be your ally. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John and Becky as much as I did and came away with some new insight about the key trends that will certainly affect you and your colleagues in nonprofit leadership. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, patentmcdowell.com, where you can find out more about Becky, about John, about their podcast, their free community, and much more of the good things happening at We Are For Good. Once again, thank you for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Just go to patentmcdowell.com and you'll see the follow button. And by clicking that, you will not miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And, of course, if you liked this special 200th episode, click on the Episodes button and you can go back through our entire library, scrolling through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes as well as searching by topic or guest name. Thanks, as always, for what you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.